Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night with your mind racing about one concern or another? So overwhelmed that you're unable to get back to sleep. Have there been times when you're so preoccupied with a problem that you didn't seem able to function? Have there been issues in your life that seem to dominate every waking thought? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you have known anxiety. Most of us have known anxiety. I have known anxiety. Some struggle greatly with anxiety. Anxiety is a feeling of fear, dread, and uneasiness. You can start to sweat without even being engaged in any real activity. Not only can your mind race, but you can experience an uneasiness, a jitteriness in your body. As we mentioned, it can cause you to be unable to sleep. It is in essence a great worry that overcomes and overwhelms you, sometimes without any explanation. You just have a sense of great worry and fear. We hear things or we say things like, I have anxiety. I'm so stressed out. I'm having or I feel like I'm having a panic attack. Anxiety usually involves our thoughts or our concerns about some element of the future. We're worried about what's going to happen in the future and it causes us great levels of fear. That's anxiety. We often are anxious about finances. We wonder if we're gonna be able to pay the bills this month. We wonder whether we're gonna be able to keep our job. We wonder if we don't have a job, if we're gonna be able to find a job. We wonder if we're gonna have enough money saved for retirement. We wonder if we're ever gonna be able to buy a car or if we have a car, we'll be able to fix it when it breaks down. We wonder if the economy is going to fail. We often worry we're often anxious about finances. We're often anxious about our health. Have any of you ever gone on WebMD, <laughs> typed in your symptoms? Yeah, I advise, I strongly advise against that. But we worry about our health. We think about cancer, we think about heart disease, we think about dementia. We don't only worry about our health, we worry about the health of people we love. Members of our family, our friends, are they gonna get cancer? What's gonna happen to them in the future? We often feel anxious about our children. Are they gonna be safe? Will they be healthy? Will they follow Jesus? Will they marry a godly person? Will they ever be able to find a job? Are they going to be okay? There's so many things in life that we can feel anxious about. The list goes on and on and on. We think about future relationships. We think about that math test this fall that I know I'm never gonna be able to pass. Things about the future often cause worry, fear. They often cause us to be anxious. And you may not have come in here anxious this morning, 
But as I've been listing things that you can be anxious about, you now have anxiety. And there's even sometimes where we don't even know what we're anxious about. We just feel that worry and that fear building up inside of us and it eats away at us. That's anxiety. This morning, in our fight for joy, the Apostle Paul is going to address the issue of anxiety and he's going to share with us how we can experience God's peace instead of anxiety. So if you would, would you take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four is found on page 953 in the Bible that the church provides. As always, I am going to encourage you to grab a Bible and follow along. This morning here in chapter four, Paul is wrapping up his letter to the Philippians. And remember, we have said all along that this is not only a letter to the Philippians, this is a letter to us today. It's a letter to Calvary Church. It's a letter to you. And today he is wrapping up this letter with some final instructions. We only have three weeks left, three sermons left counting this week. That's when you guys are supposed to go, ah, yes, ah. It's kind of sad that we're wrapping this up. But Paul today is gonna give us some final instructions, important instructions. Now we could look at these verses in numerous ways. We could address them in different kinds of ways, but today I'd like to address them in the context of fighting anxiety. How do we fight anxiety and experience God's peace? There are gonna be four instructions. But before we jump in, I'd like to make a point to you. Anxiety is a complex issue. I recognize that anxiety is complex. And this morning, we are not going to be able to address all the complexities of anxiety, all the complexities of fear and worry in our lives. However, having said that, I would like you to understand that anxiety is typically both a physiological issue and a spiritual issue. Both a physiological issue and a spiritual issue. There is a danger in addressing anxiety as only a physical issue. There is also a danger in addressing anxiety as only a spiritual issue. That is because anxiety is typically both a physiological issue and a spiritual issue. This morning, we are going to address anxiety from a spiritual perspective, which I will tell you should always be done when we are looking at the issue of anxiety. You follow me? Good. Now let's look at the instructions that Paul has for us this morning as we fight for joy. First instruction, rejoice in the Lord always. Look at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now this is pretty simple. 
And in case we didn't get it, Paul repeats it. He doesn't suggest that we should rejoice. He doesn't tell us that it would be nice if we rejoice. He doesn't even tell us that we should take a class on rejoicing. He just says, do it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. You see, rejoicing should be a normal aspect of our Christian life. We should view this as instruction in the same way we view the instructions to love one another, to tell the truth, to not gossip. We should rejoice in the Lord always. The truth about this is that Paul is calling us to have the right mindset. Paul implies that this attitude of rejoicing is something that we can control. We can choose to rejoice. We can choose to view the cup as half full as opposed to half empty. We can even rejoice that we have a cup. Paul is calling us to rejoice in the Lord and this does not require good circumstances. Remember, Paul is writing this from prison, awaiting possible execution. Remember how we've defined joy? Remember how we define joy? Joy is a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. A settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. And you know why Paul was full of joy. Paul was full of joy because he knew Jesus and Jesus knew Paul. Paul was full of joy because he had Jesus. So Paul rejoices and he commands us to rejoice as well. Some of you are going to remember the Pharaoh Williams song, Be Happy. It's Happy, Pharaoh Williams. It was released in 2013 as part of the Despicable Me 2 soundtrack, and it was a catchy song. It went to number one on the charts. Catchy song. It makes you want to sing. It makes you want to dance. It's kind of, because I'm happy. You, okay, I, that, I tried it. I, I practiced that, and when I practiced it, it sounded pretty good in my office. I tried it in first service. It went just about as poorly as that did right there. But you get the idea. You know the, the, the song, Happy. Well, in the movie Despicable Me 2, that song plays when the main character, Lucy, kisses Gru, the former supervillain, the bad guy, the despicable guy. When Lucy gives Gru a kiss, the song plays because Gru has experienced love, so he is happy. It sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? when we are seized by the love of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ comes in and fills us, it causes us to rejoice. The man that is full of the most joy in Rome is in prison. And he commands you and me to choose joy, not based upon good circumstances, not limited by the difficulties of this life, but rejoice. It says, rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. You see, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, you can rejoice this morning because God loves you. Because you are forgiven because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. That because no matter what happens in your life, eventually it is going to turn out all right. That no matter what the world takes away from you, they cannot take Jesus away from you. 
And ultimately, Jesus is preparing a place for you that is better by far than what we are experiencing today. So the result is, choose joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice in your fight for anxiety. Choose joy. Second instruction, verse five. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul commands us to let our gentleness be evident to all, which for many of us means that we have to first pray to have a gentle spirit so that that gentleness can be known to all. The word that's translated here, the Greek word that's translated gentleness here in the NIV is difficult to precisely translate into English. Other translations have used the word graciousness, reasonableness, mildness, forbearance. Look how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse in the message. Make it as clear as you can to all that you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. <laughs> I think the best way to look at this concept or this idea of gentleness is to think about it as yielded rights. Yielded rights. We are to be gentle or yielded people as followers of Jesus Christ. Gracious, giving, letting go. Most of us spend a lot of time Arguing and fighting for our rights. We argue and we fight for the things that we have. We want to keep those things. We argue and we fight for things that we think we should have. And we spend time arguing and fighting for the things of this world. It's our attempt at controlling our lives and others' lives. And you know what ends up happening? You just end up being more anxious because the more you argue and fight for your rights, the more you argue and fight to take control of your future and of other people's future, the more you do that, sooner or later, you come to the point where you recognize that you cannot control the future, you cannot control your future, and you cannot control the future of other people. And so what happens? You even get more anxious. You even start to experience more fear. You start to experience more worry. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to everyone. My friends, the encouragement here is let it go. Give it up. We are to be known as gentle and yielded people. And it says it's to be evident. That's significant. That means when people look at us, when people look at you as a follower of Jesus Christ, it should be crystal clear that you are a gentle person. That you are a person who yields your rights. So here's a question for you. It's a simple question. Would the people who know you best consider you a gentle person? 
Would the people who know you best consider you a person who yields your rights? Would that word ever pop into their mind when they think about you? Let me raise the bar a little bit. Would the person you like least in this world think you are a gentle person? This past week, I had to ask myself both of those questions. And honestly, for me, the answer to both of those questions is no. The people that are closest to me would not think of me as a gentle person. They would not think of me as a person who yields their rights. So I have work to do. Do you. You see, it's my prayer that we, starting with me first and then you, that we would be a people who are known for their gentle spirits, that when people look at us, it would be evident, it would be clear that we are people who yield our rights. This is so important to Paul. Look how he continues. Look how Paul continues. He reminds us that the Lord is near. This is like the mom saying to the child, you better hang on because your dad's going to be home soon. Which means two things. It can mean two things. First, Paul is saying when he says and he writes the Lord is near, he is saying that the Lord is watching you and he is watching me. He hears the words we speak. He knows our thoughts and our motives and he watches our actions because he is near. He is close. He knows what you think. He knows what you say and he knows what you do. So remember that the Lord is near. But the Lord being near also means that you have a champion you have a strong, great Savior who is near to you. He will take care of you. Your strong, great Savior watches over you. So you do not have to argue. You do not have to fight. You can yield your rights because God is for you and he will ultimately bring justice to your situation. The Lord is near. He is watching, but the Lord is near and he is your great champion because he is your savior. To avoid, to fight anxiety, rejoice in the Lord always. Ask the Lord for a gentle spirit so that you, your gentleness can be evident to all. Thirdly, Paul now takes anxiety and worry head on with a very specific instruction. Look at verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The King James translates this in much stronger terminology. It says, be anxious for nothing. Don't you hate it when people tell you not to worry? <laughs> Seriously. 
Don't you hate it when people tell you not to worry? I know what you think. You think, because this is what I think. I think to myself, they wouldn't tell me not to worry if they only knew, if they really only really understood the problem, because if they really understood the problem, they'd be worried as well. But Paul, in this verse, commands us not to worry. The construction of this command in the original language forbids the continuation of an action already habitually engaged in. Paul's emphatic point here is that there is nothing that you can worry about. Absolutely nothing. The implication is that anxiety and worry is a sin. Now, this is difficult. This is difficult for us to admit. This is difficult for us to come to terms with because at one point or another, all of us struggle with anxiety. Many of us struggle with anxiety, worry, and fear on a daily basis. It is a lot easier for us to label things sin when we do not struggle with them. But what we're really saying when we worry, we're really saying that God cannot take care of us that our problems are bigger than his love and his promises. What did you worry about this week? What did you worry about this week? How much time did you spend worrying? Did your worrying, did your anxiety bring about any change? <laughs> Absolutely not. I know. I've been there. I understand. You see, we should spend more time thinking about Jesus and what Jesus said to us. Look at what Jesus said to you and to me in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew records these words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow, that they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father he knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When I read these words of Jesus, I think to myself, do I really trust Jesus or not? But Paul takes this a step further. He doesn't leave us there. 
he actually provides us a specific cure to anxiety. Paul says, worry about nothing and pray about everything. Again, look at verse six, second half. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In this verse, Paul uses four different terms for prayer. First, prayer, which is the broadest word for communication with God. Second, petition, which conveys the sincere sharing of personal needs and problems. Third, thanksgiving. Our prayers should be accompanied by a heart of gratitude, recognizing what God has done for us in the past. And then fourth, requests. This word speaks of specific asks rather than generalities. Do you think that prayer is important in fighting anxiety? Yes, Paul provides a cure for anxiety. He says, pray. And I want you to note that there is a special emphasis, a special focus here on thanksgiving. When we pray with thanksgiving, this is important. When we pray with thanksgiving, we are recognizing all of the things that God has done for us in the past. And we have a heart of gratitude for the things that God has done for us in the past. God becomes the object of our gratitude. And when God is the object of our gratitude and you look at the things he's done in the past, what ends up happening in our minds is we come to believe that if he acted in the past, he is going to continue to act in the future. If he was faithful in the past, he is going to be faithful in the future. If he was with you in the past, he is going to continue to be with you in the future. So pray with thanksgiving. And there is a main point, is a key point here. Listen closely. It is very hard for worry and prayer to coexist at the same time. You can either worry or you can pray, but it is very difficult to worry and to pray. So pray, because God wants us to counter our worry, to counter our anxiety with prayer. So when you feel anxious, pray, which leads to the promise of God. When you choose to pray, God will cover you. Look at verse seven. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you pray, instead of worry, instead of anxiety, God's peace the peace of God that transcends all human understanding, a peace that is completely inexplicable by human standards is going to cover you. It is going to guard your heart in your mind in Christ Jesus. 
It is the promise of God. We are not told that our problems are going to go away. We aren't told that we're going to understand what is going to happen. We aren't told that things are going to seemingly get better before they seemingly get worse. What we are told is that when we pray, the peace of God that transcends all human understanding is going to cover us. Let's play this out a bit. Suppose you have not been feeling well. You have not been feeling well and you go to WebMD and you start to look up your symptoms in WebMD and it causes you to great concern. It causes you worry. It causes anxiety. So you call your doctor. Your doctor says, come on in and you come on in and your doctor says, you know what? We have to run a couple tests on you. At that point, your anxiety goes from here to up here because now your doctor is going to be running tests on you. And you start thinking things about your health. Maybe it's cancer, maybe it's heart disease. Maybe I'm already starting to lose my faculties. And you start to worry and you start to become anxious. Paul is saying here, when that time comes, because it comes at one time or another for each one of us. When that time comes, Paul says, step away, find a place, find a quiet place and go meet with your Lord. Talk to him, present your requests, petition him with thanksgiving. Don't just shoot him a prayer. Don't just give him that bullet prayer on the way out of your car and into work. Don't just drive around in your car listening to music and kind of praying occasionally. No, find time with the Lord and be with him. Confess your worry before him. Declare your love for him. Tell him that you trust him and keep saying these things until you actually believe them yourself. And then what happens miraculously is the peace of God covers you because you understand that God loves you. You understand that you are forgiven because of what Jesus has done for you. You understand that no matter what happens, God has all wisdom and power and ultimately everything is going to turn out all right because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know that the world can take away so much, but they cannot take away Jesus. And ultimately, you know that Jesus is preparing a place for you that is better by far. And the peace of God washes over you and guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Fighting anxiety. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not be anxious about anything but pray about everything. And then finally, our fourth instruction this morning, Paul addresses our thought life. Paul not only tells us to pray, he reminds us what we should think. Look at what Mark Twain wrote. Mark Twain, the 19th century author, philosopher, and sometime comedian, 
wrote, what a wee little part of a person's life are his acts and his words. His real life is led in his head and is known to none but himself. All day long, the mill of his brain is grinding and his thoughts, not those other things, are his history. That's so true. So much about who we are occurs in our minds. What we think is so important to who we are. But I believe that this goes a step further. It is not just what is in our minds because what we believe often, always actually, comes out in how we live and how we act. So Paul says to us, there are some things that you need to think about. And this has been our benediction through this whole series. And I believe that one of the reasons we chose this is because what we think is so foundational to who we are and to what we end up saying and doing with our lives. Let's look first at our thought life because it is integral to fighting anxiety and experiencing peace and joy. Look at verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul commands us to think about these eight things. This means that we are to continuously ponder them in a detailed and logical manner to focus on these types of things. Notice that these categories are very broad and not necessarily religious. We are told to think about whatever. Whatever is true, noble, right, and pure. There are a lot of things that fit into this category. God has packed this world full of good things for us to think about. And Paul says, be deliberate about what you allow yourself to think about. Just like you choose the right foods to nourish your body, good thoughts are necessary for spiritual nourishment and belief. Do you guys remember the principle? Garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. The things that we take in, the things that we take into our lives, we end up spending time thinking about and they end up coming out of us in our words and in our actions. So when you take garbage in, you are going to think about garbage and you are going to kick garbage out. You are going to act, talk, it is going to be garbage. Garbage in, garbage out. So Paul encourages us very specifically to think good thoughts. Then in verse nine, look what Paul says. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Here Paul transitions from attitude to action. Yes, think about these good things, but then work on them and put them into practice. We need to put into practice what has been preached. All of the information cannot just remain in our heads. It has to be applied in our lives. So Paul says to us, get to work. In our fight for joy, Paul this morning encourages us to fight anxiety. 
Fight anxiety by choosing to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul commands us to let our gentleness be evident to everyone. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. And finally, he turns to our thought life and he says, think about these good things and they will end up coming out of you in your words and in your actions. Paul has given us very clear instructions on how to deal with anxiety, worry, and fear in our lives. I wonder if you noticed something. I didn't really notice this until later in the week. It was after most of my study, but I... Did you notice when Paul said, when he instructed us to pray, he said that the result of our prayer would be that we would experience the peace of God. Pray, and you will experience the peace of God. He ends, though, by saying, think good thoughts, and then put them into practice, and if you do that, you will experience the God of peace. First, he says, you will have the peace of God. And then he says, you will have the God of peace. That God himself will choose to be present with you. My friends, this is what our faith is all about. You know Jesus. And Jesus knows you. You have Jesus. And Jesus tells us that he is the prince of peace. And he wants us to have his peace. So this morning, we together are going to experience the God of peace. We are together going to come to the Lord's table and we are going to commune with Jesus Christ. We believe that through this symbolic statement, it is a symbol of his actual presence here among us this morning. Jesus is here in this place and we together are going to take communion and commune with the Prince of Peace.
Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.